The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and with me today is Sierra. And our guest today is Kelsey Hightower, Distinguished Engineer at Google. Thank you for joining us today. Yo, yo happy to be here. Yeah. Welcome, so, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, so usually my first question is um, tell us your, your life story, but I do want to ask what is, since Distinguished Engineer is not a title I see all the time. Um, what is that? All right. So distinguished engineer, when I, when I started my tech career, um, that was not a, a title that I've ever heard before. Number one, I've never met anyone in that title. When I got into tech, my goal was to be a system administrator. That's mm -hmm. it. I just wanted to come in, be one of those people who work on the servers, eventually learn how to write some code. Maybe I can be a developer. Hell, I even took tech support when I got started. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those roles aren't really thought of in terms of levels, right? Like you're a system administrator. I mean, maybe HR has different levels, right? HR may say you're a system administrator level two. And typically those designations are based on your level of experience. Uh, there's a challenge with that though. There are some people with 20 years of one year experience. And so they may be a system administrator level eight. And you ask them, what's the difference between a level eight and a level one system administrator? And a lot of times it's not really clear outside of they've just been doing it for so long. Yeah. Um, in terms of the distinguished engineer title, there was a lot of career progression over time. You go from spending a lot of time writing code. So some people would say that's your early years, that's your junior year. And then eventually you move up and instead of just writing code and maybe implementing things that are given to you, right? Maybe a product manager goes off, the business goes off. And someone says, these are the things we would like you to build. And if you can do that, then you start to have a really good and productive junior engineer career. But then the next level comes from getting in earlier in that process. And I would think a lot of times that when we say staff engineer, maybe the next level from that, or senior engineer, the next level from that, that's going to be someone who's going to probably be in the room a little earlier in that process saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't build it quite that way. Or maybe there's something that we can use off the shelf instead of writing any code at all. And that really starts to show your scenario. You're just not blindly following directions, mm -hmm. right? You actually mm -hmm. have enough experience to push back. And then we get to that next level, that principal engineer. And that principal engineer, again, not on the management track. So you probably don't have direct reports. This could be very different than a team lead. And sometimes a lot of principal engineers do become team leads. But that principal engineer is that person who feels like the director without authority. Mm -hmm. You can't tell nobody to clock out. So if that's what you were looking forward to, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but 
your goal is though to be having that big picture in mind. What could we build? What's the latest and greatest technology that's out there that could be leveraged for some of the things that we're going to do on our long-term roadmaps? So principal engineers, I think, get much deeper involved. They have that big picture. They can work across the organization, maybe you creating standardized processes and so forth. Then eventually, at a company like Google, lots of other big tech companies, there's that distinguished engineer. And a lot of companies will reserve that for someone who has demonstrated extraordinary value to that particular company. And so a distinguished engineer, you have to kind of earn those stripes. Rarely do you get hired in as a distinguished engineer. Typically, a distinguished engineer has done things that maybe help change the industry to some degree. Different companies have different criterias. But one of the goals that I think I've done is things around empathetic engineering. So not just writing code all the day, but getting people to understand how to write code on behalf of the customer. Very different way of thinking about, you know, just building products and shipping them, but doing that with empathy. And so starting a program around it, those are the type of activities that change the engineering culture. And those are the things that we would expect of our distinguished engineers. Awesome. Thanks for that explanation. Um, it definitely goes through the progression. Um, let's go back. So I want to rewind now, because like I said, we, we usually start with your, your story. And I, I read a really great article, which had a lot of those details, but definitely th through your words. Um, and um, we love hearing stories of kind of untraditional paths, right? Um, you know, people think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take AP courses in high school, and then I'm going to, you know, be a sophomore when I start college and then I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to get a tech job. And we like to hear, you know, people whose paths don't quite um, match that cookie cutter um, experience. So pl please tell us how you, how you got into technology and your path to where you are now. The first time I remember touching a computer, I think my, in Long Beach, California, this is the nineties. And this is when people were wearing, I don't know, cross colors, like you didn't match on purpose. <laughs> and so in the 90s, I was all about sports. And my dad was a huge Houston Rockets fan. I mean, we used to watch Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> like my stepdad is from Nigeria. So it uh -huh. don't matter what's on TV, <laughs> you're watching the Houston Rockets. That's what's going to happen. And luckily for us, they were actually good for a while, right? And they won two championships. <laughs> We won't talk about the fact that Michael Jordan was not playing those two years. Maybe you're not gonna take that away from us. We're not gonna take that away. And Hakeem Olajuwon was everything. And so me and my brothers, we used to play basketball all the time. You know, that's all I wanted to do. You play basketball, you play football, you play track, and look when nothing else was going on, you joined a soccer team. And so for me, athletics was everything. That's all I could think about. And luckily for me, I found school fairly straightforward. And I won't say easy, but it was straightforward enough for me just to get that A, study just enough, get the A, mm -hmm. and then go focus on sports. Mm -hmm. And the first time I got a computer, I think my dad bought one, put it in the house, and all I looked at it was to play video games. So I'm not one of those early people that knew I wanted to do programming early on. It wasn't until I got to high school, my mom moves from Long Beach, California to Atlanta, Georgia. And we missed about six months of school. Oh. And so during that transition, it's like, hey, I got straight A's, but now I got a situation. I don't mm -hmm. have the time. And so when I go to this high school, they had a program called uh, Technology Student Association, TSA. 
-hmm. And if you went after school, you could get those missing credits so I could actually graduate on time. And so I got in there as like, look, I'm running track. I'm starting to work at McDonald's, got to earn some money. And I realized that this technology thing kind of cool. You know, I'm like this athlete trying to be cool. You know how you're trying to be cool with your name brand clothes on, collar pop, <laughs> looking like the music video. So I'm trying to be cool from first to last period. But then after school, I got to switch it up Uh huh. because, you know, it's a, it's a different persona <laughs> in a technology student association. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I learned, though, are the person that led that, his name was Mr. Dewey. And he just exposed us to everything. TI basic, so you can program your calculator. We were doing AutoCAD, we did all of these things. And instead of me just staying there just to get the credit, I'm competing at the state level, um, going to do various tasks where you demonstrate your technology skills based on what you're learning in the association. And at that point, I kind of knew that I was very curious that this could actually be a role. Look, mm -hmm. I'm only five nine, so sports wasn't a real reality for me. <laughs> no, you don't know that until you stop growing. <laughs> and so that I think that was kind of my exposure to saying, you know what, this tech thing, and I actually turned out to be good at it. Mm -hmm. I would go down to Jekyll Island at that state competition, and I would get second place in AutoCAD, and only got second place because I couldn't print out the mm -hmm. particular project. And I'm like, wow, I'm I'm really good at this, and so I decided after high school that I wouldn't go to college, even though in Georgia, if you have a 3.0 or better, you go to school essentially for free. You can get Oh, I didn't college. know that. Mm, okay. Yeah, from UGA to Georgia Tech to Clayton State University, you can go to school and have pretty much everything covered for you, oh, wow. even with that incentive. I didn't think it was for me. I think I went to two classes and I made a mistake. I'm pretty sure I picked the wrong classes. <laughs> But I picked maybe some intro to tech or something. And we were in there doing Microsoft Word and Excel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those. But not what but you that, were expecting. Not what you were looking for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that didn't feel like that's what, what Bill Gates was doing. So I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is what I want to do for the next four years. So to wrap the story up, I decided to go for IT certifications. I went to Barnes & Noble. We had bookstores back then. Mm -hmm. This is around the year 2000 and I got an A plus certification and I was sitting there like, you know what? I need something that can be a little bit faster, a much faster feedback loop. And I just read that book cover to cover two and three times. And I would go and take that test. And if you've never taken one of these IT certifications, at least back then, you would just go on like these strip malls. These weren't universities, right? These mm -hmm. are little testing centers. Mm -hmm. and you would go in there. It's like on the left, you can get a blood test. On the right, <laughs> you can take your A plus certification. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so <laughs> you sit in this little room and the computer comes up. And basically most of the time at that time, the tests were multiple choice. And so I'm just breezing through this test like, oh, I got this because I'm telling you, I read that study guide back and forth and make sure I knew exactly everything and then when you hit enter the dial-up modem would go off and you would get your results back and that was one of the most proudest moments in my career because i was finally official right i'm like look i finally can validate all of this stuff that i'm learning and it felt like i had all this power because all the jobs the entry-level jobs require things like a plus certification and so once i got that certificate in hand I kind of felt like I had permission to kind of go do my thing. 
But there's an important part of this story. I was still afraid to apply for those jobs. When oh. all the jobs you had before were mm -hmm. Pizza Hut, McDonald's, yeah. Subway. I worked at Pizza Hut in wear. high school too. <laughs> so you so you know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you go through that trajectory, you don't even know what to wear to the interview. You don't you don't really have a resume, at least not one that you're proud of. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go list all of those jobs for a job like that. And so I was very hesitant. I just didn't apply. And so instead, the funny thing is I got a contracting job at that same testing center. After you pass your exam, they would ask you if you would like to teach courses to other people who were on the certification track. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, cool, let me do that. And so that was kind of my first experience teaching others what I had just learned. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's my first ever public speaking, doing that. Wow. And they had uh -huh. this job fair where, I don't know, I don't know if y'all remember Dallup. I do. You know, like, if, you remember Dallup. So yeah. for, for those that might be too young, they don't know about that Dallup. <laughs> Dallup is, you got this modem and it plug into the wall where the phone's supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it make all those noises. And you getting on and you excited because it's going to be about 12 minutes. Yes. Before you can get on the internet, but once you own, oh, you you doing your thing, you clicking around, you seeing no news, you got three email messages because sending email wasn't cheap back then, and so someone would pick up the phone, and that's a wrap. So if somebody trying to call somebody else and they pick up the phone, your internet connection is disrupted. And so back then, though, this is the transition to high speed internet. So in Atlanta, Bell South was going around recruiting people who had some skills related to computers because the people who were doing phone installations computers wasn't a skill that they had and so they went to these kind of places to recruit people who at least had their a plus and network plus certifications if you had those two things then they would train you how to do these service calls to hook up high-speed internet uh, for other people and that was the first i guess tech job that i had because it didn't require an extensive resume Mm -hmm. um, you would drive around in your car every morning you would wake up you'll get two or three maybe five if you were any good and you would just go do these new installs or troubleshoot fixes throughout the day and that's when I really learned how to work with people you going into people's homes yeah right and then people looking around like you know in Atlanta there's a real there's a little divide going on so certain yeah. neighborhoods it's like hey you hungry and yeah same, certain neighborhoods it's like can I see your badge yeah. And so dealing with that helped me understand that tech was my superpower. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's definitely a different perspective when, you know, my my experience has all been in an office. So, you know, my end users don't know that I'm involved. But when you're taking that's very personal. Right. And very face to face with um, people and um, intimidating. I don't know if I could have done could have done that. Well, remember, I'm in survival mode at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, when you turn 18, at least in my household, you had to leave. Yeah, yeah. There was no staying home till you 26. <laughs> yeah, 18. I just want to say, go. throughout this story, I was having so much nostalgia. You took me. I was like, okay, <laughs> the 90s, which is 30 years ago, by the way, people. Don't let's, say that. Don't say just, that. Let's just pause for a moment <laughs> for that. Yeah, 30 years ago. <laughs> and, and and the 90s, you know, like, you know, this is when, you know, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, all these folks are at their peak. I mean, I heard Long Beach on a song. 
Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm in the right place. Right? When, <laughs> when you listen to the radio, you hear your city, you feel like, okay, we, we, yes. we arrived. But that was also a weird period of time because that's when they had the Rodney King riots. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the first time I ever seen police brutality on the news, right? Like yeah. someone with a camcorder. We're not talking smartphone, no smartphones yet. Mm-hmm. We're talking camcorder with the little tape in them recording this thing. And I remember I'm in elementary school at this time, I think going into middle school. And I'm walking home. And I remember there was a Nintendo game on the floor, like a brand new Nintendo game. Mm-hmm. And it was Double Dragon. This game is like $40. Uh-huh. And I picked the game up and I'm going home like, damn, like they, people are just dropping Nintendo games on the floor. <laughs> what's, what's going on? And so I get home and of course, I'm watching on TV. People are looting. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. People yeah. are looting. Things are on fire. And I looked down. And I was like, but I got a free Nintendo game. <laughs> I'm in elementary. I don't know what all of this means. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then you explain to your parents, where did you get the Nintendo game? I literally found it mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on the, the ground from school, on the ground, walking, home. <laughs> walking home. So the 90s was definitely a very influential period in terms of culture, you know, hip hop, um, at least as a, as a as a person in middle school starting to become aware of the world and how it works. Um, a lot of that kind of played out. And I don't know, it keeps me. I'm very empathetic about the path that people take. Mm-hmm. into this career and it's not necessarily the one where you know you come from a great household and you have everything and you just choose to get into technology for mm-hmm. me it was a survival tactic that was the best way for me to get a decent job that was respectable that didn't require me to go to college so i was all in it's one of the reasons i say over and over again that i love the tech industry is that it really doesn't matter what your path is as long as you learn what you need to learn and you can prove your skills and do the work your value will be upheld in this in this industry whereas a lot of you know you have to what it's still that way you know you kind of have to know in some instances it's kind of who you know not what you know but for sure in tech it's like your skills will get you to the places that that you need to go no matter what your path was to get there. So so you put on a thread mm-hmm. and now I want to unravel it. Okay. I want to unravel it. Cuz what you're saying is 100% right. I think when we start to get to that that early six-figure mark. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so much demand in this field that I've watched a lot of people go from making 40 grand a year to 100 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will put down their biases and their prejudice if you got the skills. Mm-hmm. This is a fact. It reminds me of like the sports industry. Mm-hmm. Right? Not too long ago, you couldn't even play in some of these leagues. Now, if we winning, it's all good. As long as we winning. <sighs> oh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. So the interest aligned. But mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a problem though. What is your worth? If we don't know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't know 85% of my career because I remember taking a job. Look, making 45k mm-hmm. in 2004. Mm-hmm. You, I was good with that. I didn't know any like 45k. Right. Mm-hmm. Doing tech support. 
we good. Mm -hmm. And then I remember one of those jobs I was afraid to apply for. I said, you know what? It's been a little while. I'm five years in the game. Let me just see. Mm -hmm. And I go to the job interview. I get me a nice little shirt and tie. And the funny thing, I had this suit. I'm buying off the rack. You ain't got that kind of money. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to Macy's. You just, this, this Marshall's now. <laughs> <laughs> they know European cut. <laughs> Everybody looked the same. From Sunday school to job interview, it's yes. the same suit. It's the same mm -hmm. suit. <laughs> and I remember I called my home ec teacher, Mary mm -hmm. Ramsier, because I took home ec. Mm -hmm. I said, Mary, you got to tighten your boy up. <laughs> go. <laughs> I would go to this interview and it's at a financial institution mm -hmm. and the dress code kind of requires certain tie. Mm -hmm. So I go to Miss Mary, Mary Ramsier's and she, she, she tight me up. She get me right on the spot. Just like, all right, let's taper this. So I'm feeling good. At least my pants ain't too long. Mm -hmm. And so I go with a little bit of confidence and I'm telling you, I didn't know what kind of skills I had. Because at that point, I was working in web hosting and we were getting calls on the phone. Hey, I need a new server. My server's broken. My database is corrupted. My email isn't working. I mean, we, you, you taking every problem and you got minutes to solve it. Mm -hmm. You ain't got hours. You got minutes. You need to in and out, in and out skills is sharp. And you don't know how good you are because now at this point, you're a year in doing that. You're so good and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So I go to the enterprise. I drive. I don't know, 25 miles north to mm -hmm. Alpharetta. Okay. The outfits is different. The vibe is different. You know, the marble floors, the clean elevators, the receptionist at the desk, it's uh -huh. different. Mm -hmm. So you go into the interview room and I'm, I'm nervous because I'm like, I don't know the skill difference between where I am and where they are. And after the first five interview questions, I was like, I'm on a different level, not in a their trash world but i'm on a different level something's different i'm answering mm -hmm. these questions and even finding answers that they're giving me and saying these that's the wrong answer mm -hmm. that's not how that works mm -hmm. pull out a laptop if you do this with this you're going to get that not that mm -hmm. i do this every day i mean just to be humble because i don't want to <laughs> not get this job <laughs> but i would hate for you to leave this room thinking that that's the right answer Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are laughing. All of my other skills come into play. And I was lucky. I didn't know that that's a superpower, letting people understand who you are as well, not just what you know in your mind, but right. also who you are, what type of person will they get a chance to work with. And so I'm driving home, and you got to call the wife. Babe, I killed it. <laughs> I, they weren't ready for you, boy. They wasn't ready. Answer all the questions. Because, you know, there's the interviews where you feel like you've given your best. Yeah. That was one of the interviews where I felt like I gave my best. So I'm driving back 25 minutes, 25 miles. It's mm -hmm. probably 45-minute drive. I went on my lunch break. Mm -hmm. I'm at work. I went to my lunch break. Did the interview, came back. And on the phone, the recruiter said they want to offer you $90,000. I'm mm -hmm. going from 45 to 90. Yeah. That's nice. I'm like, things going to change. <laughs> <laughs> a few things going to change. Uh-huh. And, and I get back to work, and they were like, when can you start? I'm like, Monday. 
I, I'm like, I know I should give a two week notice, but would they give me a two week notice? Maybe they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so I got back to work and I told my manager, I was like, yo, and this is my manager at that time is one of my best friends, Joe Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I called you. I said, hey, Joe, man. Hey, man. They got 90 over there. <laughs> he said, where? <laughs> and I told him, I was like, in Alpharetta, that's where the, and at first he was kind of like, man, you just kind of switched over to the engineering side. You're right, you know, but he was like, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. That's more than I make. Mm-hmm. Go get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ain't got to apologize for me. I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. So I took that job and I'm, I'm going to tell you throughout my career, things have double, triple, 10 X mm-hmm. because you don't, you don't know your worth. I won't tell y'all the numbers because you know, yeah. you get to kidnap territory. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need, leave my family alone. I'm broke. I don't got no money. <laughs> For the audience, he's pushing a t-shirt. He's not wearing a fancy suit yeah. or mm-hmm. Nothing. No, 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 no jewels, no nothing. <laughs> Leave me alone. You see me. I got nothing for you but IT books. I'll sign a book for you, but that's as far as we're going. <laughs> but I remember I was I was I'm at Google. Mm-hmm. I'm four years in and I give this keynote at the big Google conference. There's probably 30,000 people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm making good money, more than I ever thought I would ever make in my whole life. Yeah. At some point, more than I thought I would ever save yeah. in my whole life. Yeah. And I remember I got this call from Microsoft. I was like, man, I don't, I don't mess with Microsoft? Windows? <laughs> nah. They tried to do you dirty with that Microsoft Word class. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wasn't feeling that. Yeah, nah, y'all try to, y'all try to get your boy early. <laughs> so I was like, nah, I don't really, I don't really do Microsoft. You know, I'm about Linux, mm-hmm. Mac. Mm-hmm. As far as we go, I might do Chromebook, mm-hmm. but we're not doing Windows. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can't even mess with that, babe, because a lot of what I do is rooted in authenticity. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell someone about something that I wouldn't use. And then my wife was like, just, just, just go and see what they talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what you'd be telling other people to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'd be telling other people to do. Go find out. And so I remember I went up there and they were so cool. That's the first time that I went through an executive recruiting process because they saw me as an executive. Mm-hmm. I think people at Google saw me as an executive too, at least by title, but I didn't. So I wasn't, I wasn't recalculating the value. I was good where I was. And, uh, I met with the team. I spent some time with Microsoft CEO Satya Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm like, yo, and the questions is very different. Yeah. I'm very curious about this process. The questions are very different. When people know who you are, they do not ask for a resume. It's not going to tell them anything that they don't already right. know. Mm-hmm. And so I realized, cause I don't have a LinkedIn. Haven't had a LinkedIn profile in a long yeah, time. Yeah. I was trying to look for it. <laughs> I did not find LinkedIn. it. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, oh, I got to get me a resume. I haven't done one of those in a long time. And so they were just like, they just knew all about me. They had done their research. They kind of knew my impact and actually in the interview process, 
people are telling you your impact. Mm -hmm. They're saying, we've seen this from afar. And so we know what we would be getting. We just want to make sure you know what you would be getting. And so the interview process is very different. People aren't trying to validate your skills because you have so much public body of work. This is why I think it's so important to have that public presence. You choose how you want to do it. You could flex on them on Instagram mm -hmm. in front of the rented Ferrari. You could. That's what you want to put out there. Right. That's an option. Or you can put your intellect on full display. You can give people a living resume. You can mm -hmm. show them all facets of your skill set. If you into software, mm -hmm. GitHub is a living body of work that you get to keep updated and to show off all your skills. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like it's like when an athlete, when you play in the league, your games are on film. Right. What resume? What resume do you submit as LeBron James? I'm look. <laughs> Check the, the record. Check, check the film. <laughs> it's on film. It's no, it, you can't lie. There's no yeah. need to lie because it's on film. And so when I got there, I felt like, man, I didn't, I didn't remember. I'm almost 20 years into the game. Mm -hmm. I thought I was doing all the things and I didn't know that the value had reset. Fat Joe, what do he say after one of those verses? He says, yesterday's price is not today's price. <laughs> I know the price went up. And so I remember I got this offer back. Mm -hmm. When people add a zero to your income, you'd be like, what, what, what's, what's, come on, nah, zero. This, this, this is a typo. <laughs> hey, this is a typo. Don't even but get excited. Me, don't let me, don't, hey, let me, let me call them. <laughs> don't let me get verify. excited. Cause after taxes, that's not going to be that. Let's mm -hmm. relax. So mm -hmm. I get no ideas. Now she got a career too. She's a professional mm -hmm. in her game. So we see this now. She was like, I told you. I was like, yeah, you said go. She's like, remember, remember what I said, okay? And I, and I had to give her credit. So that I'm acknowledging publicly. Very, very nice. Very good. Good job. And so I look at it. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I think maybe this is what the number supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to counter it. Okay. Oh, let's, 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 let's yeah. not too much, but come on now. We're going to, we're going to start negotiations. So I'm like, okay, let me negotiate just a little. I'm going to tell you Microsoft is family forever. I didn't go work there, mm -hmm. but they're family forever. Cause I did my little counter, thought I was doing something. Mm -hmm. They countered back higher. Says we're not playing. Wow. So, Okay, I'm done playing too. Mm -hmm. So I go back to work and look, I'm, I'm doing well at Google. Mm -hmm. I have no complaints at this point. My career is doing everything. And I just talked to my manager and said, hey, I've been rocking with you at that time, four years, one manager, four years straight. That doesn't really usually happen in large tech companies. And so we were partners and I slid him that offer Mm -hmm. Just like Joe Rodriguez years before, my manager's like, holy crap. Uh huh. But you're worth every penny. Mm hmm. He told me I was worth every penny. Now, I don't know how to feel about that because why am I not getting that? <laughs> yeah. So, 
This must have led to another conversation. I appreciate, I appreciate you, but also. Well, I mean, again, I never asked for mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. if, if I've never had saw that offer, I would have never had a problem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. it was fine until I understood something different. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that he did, it's the reason why I'm at Google, still seven years now, mm -hmm. is because he said, I just want to see. I'm curious. Could you share the offer with me? Mm -hmm. And I just want to see if they'll match it. Okay. I'm just curious. All the work you've done, all the work we've done together, I'm just curious. And I told him, I'm not trying to do that because if I hadn't already made my mind up to go, I'm not trying to play that game because life has been good so far. I have no complaints. There's just a better deal on the table. Mm -hmm. And so he goes off and in a short amount of time, it's countered quickly, but in a way that wasn't like anyone was feeling like they were being held hostage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No one felt like there was an ultimatum. Right. Mm -hmm. And they fixed the numbers. And of course, I'm like, I'm really good now. Mm -hmm. So I go back to the Microsoft team, you know, I'm in my head, I ain't like Windows, no way. <laughs> and I'm just being funny. The, the no. Why I was very, no, seriously, I'm just being funny because when we're in the interview and they ask me, like, what parts of the Microsoft conglomerate do you like? I'm a fan of Xbox and the Xbox business. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of GitHub. Remember, mm -hmm. Microsoft owns GitHub. Oh, right? That's okay. where I spend most of my time. Know about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. when it comes to developer tooling, Microsoft has been front and center forever. And things like GitHub expand that. So I knew that there was going to be a path for me to kind of come in and stay authentic to who I am because I use some of those tools anyway, right? Mm -hmm. VS Code, all of those things are all in the Microsoft realm. So it wasn't going to be a stretch to make that leap, but I had to give myself more reasons than just that they mm -hmm. countered, right? Mm -hmm. And so I go back and I say, listen, I appreciate you all because you've gotten me the biggest raise ever. I would have never asked for this, mm -hmm. but now I have, and I got it all because you put it on paper and they weren't even mad because mm -hmm. after that, one of the senior VPs there, Jeff Sanquest, he met me at a conference probably six, seven months later. And he was just like, hey, let's just meet. We're in Seattle. Hey, let's mm -hmm. just meet. And he, we rolled up, took me to breakfast because I had a keynote later in the morning. And he pulled out this bag. He had a bag. And it was a, it was a Microsoft Azure. Might have been a GitHub hoodie. And it had my name on the sleeve. And he was like, we want to be on team Hightower. And I was like, Jeff, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he was relentless with the recruiting process, uh -huh. but he was recruiting the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wasn't recruiting a software engineer. Mm -hmm. He wasn't recruiting a Linux system administrator. He was recruiting the person. And, the, and to cap this story off, a year goes by and I get to meet Satya at this hotel room in San Jose. He was like, hey, just want to meet. And I'm telling you, it made me feel so good about my career at that point because I meet with his admin downstairs and he's like, yo, thank you for coming. Um, you know, Satya just wanted to meet, have a discussion. And I was like, yo, what is this like all about? And he's like, they were sitting around the table. What executive did we want 
that we didn't get. Mm. And your, and your name was on the list. And so that means not just one or two people, there's a few people in your corner. This is team Microsoft. I don't work there, mm -hmm. but this is how they talk about you when you're not around. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go upstairs. Now, look, when you're flying to a meeting to meet with Satya, I was like, man, I got to read his book. He has a book called hit refresh. He's a phenomenal tech CEO, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading his book on the flight and one of the opening things in the first chapter, he talks about starting his career at Microsoft as a developer advocate for like cloud and as CEO of Microsoft, he's advocating for the soul of Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I'm ready. Now I read the book. We go up to the hotel room. Now Satya knows I'm coming. It's probably been on the schedule for two weeks at least. And so I walk in the hotel room and if you ever been to the Bay area, uh, his hotel room was facing like the mountain ranges. So it's like this very picturesque scenery. Uh huh. Uh huh. And he's just sitting there looking at the mountain range as if I'm an unexpected guest. <laughs> so I walk in like, we're not taking photos for the vanity fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you knew I was coming. And he just started laughing. I told him, I was like, Satya, now you knew I was coming. You ain't had to be facing the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and he just started laughing. And one thing he told me was really dope. Google had just gotten a new executive leader at the time. And he came from Oracle and say what you want, but a lot of people had kind of a pre thought about how a new leader from a company like that would behave. And also anytime there's a big change, a lot of time other leaders want to look for something new. I wasn't necessarily in that category, but he told me something. He was like, listen, we had like an hour long conversation, but one of the things he told me that stuck with me was when we gave you that offer, the way we kind of did it, we were almost thinking like, we were giving you, um, we were giving you support in order to run away from that new Google situation, mm -hmm. but we should have gave you something to run towards, mm -hmm. right? So instead of leaving it ambiguous, like, you know, figure it out when you get here, mm -hmm. that should have been presented clearly. So that way, instead of you feeling like you were leaving Google, it would have been like you're coming, coming to, to something, something else. Right. And that kind of just stuck with me. So when I make decisions now, I ask myself, am I leaving or am I going? Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuck with me forever. Yeah, that's definitely something as you know, people, some people do like pros and cons lists, but yeah, there should be like a, you know, what is the purpose of me making this transition? I just want to say, I, I love the story and how you told it, even from the early years of kind of being in that survival mode. I relate to that story very much, feeling like I had to write out my own plan because I didn't have the most supportive, you know, household. I didn't have a bunch of resources. And it's like, you got to go out there. You got to figure it out. You got to get a job and you got to figure out how to finish school and you got to get the best paying job that you can. And you just go and run your own race. You don't have time or, you know, <laughs> the luxury mm -hmm. of looking in all these different places. You got to keep marching forward. And what you said about not really knowing what your worth and your value is, because like, I'm, I'm good. I'm content where I am. I'm doing my thing. I love what I do. I'm enjoying it. Like I, my family is good. 
until someone presents you with something or you're put in a situation where you're kind of rattling off things that are just kind of second nature to you. And then you have this light bulb moment of, well, damn. Yeah. I didn't know I was as good <laughs> as I am. And then you kind of start to re like, I'm still good, but you start to reevaluate. Okay. Are there some other options for me? Or is there something else that I could be looking towards, even though I'm very content with where I am. So I really, really love that aspect of your story and how you presented that. I think a lot of our listeners can relate, especially to having an untraditional path of getting into tech and just in, in general, it's, you know, it's okay to be content, but also be listening and, and looking for where your value is, what your worth is, all the skills that you have. Don't let that stuff, you know, just go to the wayside. So thank you for that. You know, I, I'm hearing you and it's, it's funny that there's this emotion because even though my mom had never told me anything that way, I know that was her life for a long time, mm -hmm. right? Because that move from Long Beach to Atlanta was behind a divorce. Mm -hmm. So now you single mom again. Mm -hmm. So second time as a single mom. And there's a lot that goes into it. And when you're in high school, you don't understand the dynamics. Number one, there's a bunch of the emotional stuff you're dealing with that you can't even talk to your kids about. Like, it's just, that that's a boundary mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that, at least for my mother, and I know a lot of single mothers, that's a boundary they don't really want to cross because they don't want to poison the waters. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's this other piece of you in survival mode. And the thing about grinding, it doesn't leave a lot of room for strategy. Yes. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. You know, you, you mm -hmm. taking extra shifts when they come up. You doing everything because you want to be on your grind. You don't want to feel like that you're not taking advantage of every opportunity that's given to you. But the truth is, good opportunities typically are not given. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely. taken. Yes. Mm -hmm. You have to take them. Most people yeah. ain't trying to present good opportunities because they they're keeping them. <laughs> right. Yes. Not a lot of people pass along great opportunities. That's why they're great. They keep them and then they give you the rest of them. <laughs> right. Hey, oh yeah, I got yeah. something for you. It's like, did you not want it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's a, a very powerful thing is that the thing I wanted to say here to make it super clear, the reason why I'm trying to give so much insight about my journey is that after survival and everything is good, then you have room for strategy. You can relax and there's nothing wrong with relaxing. You ain't mm -hmm. got to work all around the clock forever. But there's some room for strategy. Yeah. And that proactiveness meaning it's not on your organization or the company in which you work to train you. Yeah. I know y'all hate that when people say, ain't nobody give me training. It's like, stop mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's on you. Mm -hmm. And so I think now that we have time for strategy, let's make sure we strategizing about career trajectory, career progression, thinking about how to make sure that you have that living resume in the world that can separate you from the pack. And then we're not going to all be fortunate enough to know our worth at the right time all the time, but at least we can talk about it a little bit so that people can at least have it in the back of their mind. Am I getting what I worth? And do I even know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey there, listener. Kelsey gave us so much great content that we had to split this conversation into two parts. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, we hope that you'll join us for part two being released very soon. 
As always, we thank you so much for listening and taking time to hang out with our crew. 